Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, the Supreme Court sides with Trump, at least for now, refusing to weigh in on the former president's immunity claims in the 2020 election case. What does this mean for the trial's start date? Plus, Israel says it is expanding its offensive in Gaza tonight as a new CNN investigation uncovers where Israel has been dropping massive 2,000-pound bombs. And new concerns about American Paul Whelan as he reveals a prison official is targeting him inside a dangerous Russian labor camp. How worried is his family about his safety? His sister is my guest. Let's go out front. Good evening. I'm Jim Shudo in tonight for Aaron Burnett. Out front tonight, a win for now for Donald Trump. The Supreme Court refusing to decide right now if Trump is immune from the alleged crimes he committed as president, including his efforts to overturn the election. The decision from the court came in this one page, one sentence order rejecting the request by special counsel Jack Smith for expedited review. This means the issue, which is at the core of Smith's election interference case, will now play out in a federal appeals court first. Smith and his prosecutors had hoped to bypass the appeals court to speed up the process since this case will ultimately end up at the Supreme Court. Just not now, which raises the likelihood that the start date for Trump's federal 2020 election trial will now stretch beyond the currently scheduled March 4th start date, and that could have major implications on the 2024 presidential race. Trump's team has repeatedly tried to delay his numerous trials because if they are pushed past the election, Trump, of course, could order some of the charges be dropped if he wins the presidency. Evan Perez is out front live in Washington tonight, and Evan So what exactly happens now in this case and how quickly? Well, Jim, what what this means is that the January 9th scheduled oral arguments before the D.C. Circuit is, you know, a lot more consequential, a lot more important. And uh, keep in mind, you know, after Jack Smith went to the Supreme Court to ask for this very unusual step to bypass the appeals court, the appeals court actually came back and put pretty aggressive timelines. very tight deadlines for the Trump team and for Jack Smith uh, to brief and to get ready for oral arguments. So that, we don't know. We don't know whether this influenced uh, the Supreme Court's decision, but it certainly could have played a role. Because now what this means is that by the time this comes back to the Supreme Court, and almost certainly it will come back before the court, uh, there will be a a fuller record, right? There will be a record not only from the district court, which said that Donald Trump does not have immunity simply because he was he was acting as president when he was trying to uh, subvert the election or allegedly was trying to subvert the election results. And, uh, you know, the other big question that Trump is raising as part of this is that uh, because he was uh, impeached by the House and acquitted by the Senate, that it would violate his the, the constitutional double jeopardy uh, clause. And so those are the two big questions that are now before the appeals court. 
January 9th, uh, just a few days before the Iowa caucuses. And look, you brought it up, uh, the, the, the date of the trial, which is March 4th, uh, almost certainly it is in danger now. And the question is, how much further does this go into the campaign uh, year is also a big thing for the Justice Department because, you know, they're, one of the things that they were trying to do was to get out of the way of the campaign. That's looking a lot more uh, difficult to do. Listen, a lot of trial dates sprinkled throughout the campaign right. time timeline. Uh, we'll be following them. Evan Perez, thanks so much uh, joining thanks, us now. Ryan Goodman, former special counsel at the Department of Defense. Gloria Borger, of course, our senior political analyst. And John Dean, former Nixon White House counsel. Good to have you all here this evening. Ryan, I, I wonder, what does this reveal about the court's thinking right now? And could this be a smart decision to let the appeals court lay this out first? Uh, absolutely. Uh, so Trump's brief in response to Jack Smith to the Supreme Court had some strong arguments in it. One of them is this kind of issue has never been decided by any court in the country, save for one, which is the district court judge. Mm -hmm. Let the regular course of uh, litigation proceed. Have the D.C. Circuit weigh in and give their judgment before you all decide. And he made a separate argument, which was to say, Maybe you should leapfrog in certain instances, but in this instance, the D.C. Circuit is fast-tracking their, their process. So why, you know, jump ahead when we can just wait into January, get the D.C. Circuit's view, and then decide? So it doesn't necessarily reveal which way the Supreme Court might go, because both of those are pretty strong arguments for not a huge delay, but at least letting the process play out. Uh, Gloria, Trump is celebrating this as a big... Yeah win for him. I, I wonder, from a political perspective, is he right to celebrate? Well, he's right that it's it's a win for him in the sense that uh, he wants to delay the uh, as long as he can. And what this does is it puts the start date in March very much in jeopardy. You know, we don't know, you know, as, as we've been saying, the Court of Appeals has put this on an expedited track. They're hearing j arguments January 9th. That's pretty quick. We don't know how long they're going to take to rule uh, one way or another. Once they rule, it'll go to the court, Supreme Court. And we don't know how long the court will take. So Trump wants to play this string out as long as he can, uh, potentially until after the election. And that is what Jack Smith did not say in his motion, because he does not want this to play out after the election. He wants to get it done before the election and presumably way before the election. And, you know, this really doesn't help him. John, the special counsel pointed to a Watergate era case in his brief, which I know you know well. In that case, the Supreme Court leapfrogged the appeals court to quickly hear a case in which, as you'll remember, the judges ultimately rejected then President Richard Nixon's claims of presidential privilege, this in a subpoena fight over Oval Office tapes. Do you think the Supreme Court was wrong to reject Smith's connection to that case and Smith's argument in that sense? Smith didn't make a real strong argument to me uh, when I read the brief. Uh, the Nixon case, I would have put on a scale of one to ten at a four. I would have put this on a nine or ten. And they didn't really build that case. So the Supreme Court felt no urgency in the briefing. Uh, I think as a practical matter, uh, they want to have all their options. This is very highly charged political stuff. And they may want to be able to not be the first to leap in to go mm -hmm. after this president, but rather sit back and look at what the Court of Appeals does, which is going to reject his immunity. 
Ryan, of course, as Gloria noted, Trump's tactic here and in many legal cases is to delay, delay, delay. What happens once the appeals court decides? And does Trump have a long runway there to keep delay, for instance, to delay his appeal then to the Supreme Court? Potentially, if this were kind of the normal course of <laughs> litigation, uh, then you've got like a certain period of time where he can say he wants to actually have the entire D.C. Court of Appeals look at it. And then after that period of time, 90 days in which he could then decide whether or not he wants to go to the Supreme Court. But I don't think that's going to happen. There are ways in which the Court of Appeals can control it. For example, they could say, as what just happened in Colorado, we're going to uh, lift the stay on the district court and allow the district court to proceed if you do not petition the Supreme Court within X amount of time. So they can easily force him to go to the court quickly or Jack Smith could do what he's already suggested that he wants, that after the DC Court of Appeals rules, then the Supreme Court can expedite. And that's the option that's also very much available to the court. So it's really in the court's hands what they want to do, the Supreme Court. Yeah, you put something of an expiration date on that, that appeal process. John, do you see though a scenario where Trump could, if the chips fall, all the chips fall in his direction, could delay this beyond the election? It's not impossible, but I think not likely. Uh, you know, he needs a full, as Ryan said, you know, we really have the court in control of how much evidence and how the court proceeds, the trial court, uh, to a great de degree here. and. I'd be I'd be shocked if the court doesn't take charge and go forward. So I don't think he can prevail with the delay strategy. The D.C. Circuit is very privy to Donald Trump's delay tactics and know how to deal with them. Gloria, this is such a central question to, to, yeah. to all the cases facing Trump. Is he immune? And I just wonder the, the potential consequences, right? I mean, th this decision has enormous implications mm -hmm for this election, but really for presidential power, yeah, does it not? It's, it's and the precedent process. setting. It's absolutely mm. precedent setting. And that's probably one of the reasons the Supreme Court decided that it needed a record set first by the Court of Appeals and to go through the, the regular process. But this is an incredibly important case for not only Donald Trump, but for the country. And um, I think what there is no control over in terms of timing is how long the Supreme Court will take mm. to decide this case. And we don't know the answer to that question. Ryan, but before we go, it's, it's so normal now to look at every case through a lens of a conservative court, uh, liberal justices. Is there a clear conservative liberal split in your view on a presidential immunity question? I don't think so. Um, I do think that the court might very well rule 9-0 um, mm. and that they'll say that at a minimum there are certain forms of conduct that a incumbent president cannot engage in that would be criminal. And then the only question is how broad is any scope of immunity or is there just no immunity? I think there's a very good likelihood the country will actually see a unified court on that particular issue. And I don't think it looks very strong for Trump. It's maybe just a question of if it's a majority opinion or a 9-0 unanimous opinion. Enormous consequences of that case. Ryan, Gloria, John Dean, thanks so much, and happy holidays to all of you. Thank you. Thanks. Up front next, Israel says it is going to great lengths to avoid civilian casualties in Gaza. Is that true? A CNN special investigation looks at where Israel's 2,000-pound bombs are landing there. 
Plus, we're going to take you to the focal point of the border crisis, where thousands are crossing into the U.S. despite miles of razor wire and thousands of federal, state, and local authorities on the ground. And a mother of seven who served in the IDF is now facing what could be her biggest challenge, a shot at replacing George Santos. Are you ready for this? Absolutely, yes. And I know the people of the 3rd Congressional District will be with me because they want a new voice. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support, your sleep number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, CNN's chief medical correspondent. This week on Chasing Life... I'm a health reporter and have been for 15 years. And even I feel overwhelmed by some of the things I read about the stuff we're eating. My colleague Meg Terrell wanted to take a deep dive into something you've probably heard a lot about recently. Ultra-processed foods. There is a lot to learn there, some fascinating stuff. And some of it is probably going to change the way you shop. Listen to Chasing Life wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, the Israeli Defense Forces say they are preparing to, quote, expand the war into new areas with an emphasis on southern Gaza. This, as the IDF says, it is, quote, gradually completing its goals in northern Gaza, though Israel's defense chief warns that the ongoing war will be, quote, a prolonged one. It comes as an estimated 20,000 people have been killed in Gaza since the war began, including some 8,000 children. That is according to the Palestinian Ministry of Health, though CNN cannot independently verify those numbers. Jeremy Diamond is out front in Tel Aviv tonight. Jeremy, uh, the IDF says it plans to expand military operations in Gaza, this despite all the pressure we've heard from U.S. officials to hem those in. Yeah, that's right, Jim. Uh, The IDF saying that they will expand their military campaign into new areas of the Gaza Strip with an emphasis on southern Gaza. Just earlier this week, they added thousands more troops to their offensive in Khan Yunus, the largest city in southern Gaza. But they also appear to be poised to expand their operations in central Gaza as well, ordering the evacuation of residents in the Al-Burej refugee camp in central Gaza and several other neighborhoods in that part of the Gaza Strip as well. And so despite that international pressure, despite the U.S. pressure to, in, to transition their operations to something lower intensity, they are very much moving forward with that campaign. At the same time, also facing increasing pressure to increase the amount of aid deliveries going into Gaza. And we are seeing how dire the need is for that aid. According to the U.N. World Food Program, about half of Gaza's 2.2 million population is now facing severe or extreme hunger. Uh, but despite that, uh, there is uh, Israeli military 
military is, is expanding the delivery of aid into Gaza. 300 plus trucks going directly from the Karim Shalom crossing into the Gaza Strip. We were there earlier today witnessing dozens of those trucks making that journey. But still, there is a gap, not only in the uh, amount of aid, but also in the Israeli military's willingness to acknowledge what is happening in Gaza. Colonel Moshe Tetro, the Israeli military officer charged with delivering that aid into Gaza, he told me today that there is no food shortage in Gaza. I pressed him on that. Listen. Like I've told you, there are tens of trucks loaded with food entering the Gaza Strip every day. There are thousands of tons of food entering the Gaza Strip every day. But why would you say that there is no food shortage in Gaza? Doesn't that suggest that you're disconnected with the reality that the people are experiencing there? Like I've told you in the briefing, we are doing a daily uh, analysis of the situation with the international organization and with other parties and other sectors like the, like the private, private sector. And while Colonel Tetro pointed the finger at the U.N. and international organizations, they're pointing it right back at him. The U.N. Secretary General today saying it is the way that Israel is conducting its military offensive that is hampering and putting up massive obstacles to uh, the distribution of aid in Gaza. We saw that just on Thursday as the Israeli military actually conducted a strike just on the other side of the Karim Shalom crossing. Jim. I've been told so similar by other organizations such as UNICEF. Uh, Jeremy Diamond in Tel Aviv, thanks so much. Also tonight, a new CNN investigation reveals that Israel has dropped hundreds of massive 2,000-pound bombs on Gaza, contributing to a soaring death toll in one of the most densely populated places on Earth. Nima Albagar is out front. Even at a distance, the devastation wrought on Gaza is unmistakable. We are a few hundred meters here from the boundary with Gaza, but even here, you get a sense of the degree of the Israeli bombardment of Gaza, the sheer intensity and scale. This is what that looks like up close. Scenes of destruction have become all too familiar. Here, the aftermath of another Israeli airstrike. This time in late October at the Jabalia refugee camp, one of the most densely populated residential areas in Gaza. The bomb that caused this damage is a 2,000-pound bomb, likely made in the USA, dropped by the Israeli Air Force, at least four times as powerful as the vast majority of the bombs used by the US in its fight against ISIS. In densely populated Gaza, the human cost is incomparable. Whole families wiped out in one blow. Jabalia refugee camp is one of the epicenters of Israel's bombing campaign. To understand the complete picture and scale of the destruction in Gaza, you need to look from above. In coordination with artificial intelligence company Synthetic, CNN was able to locate over 1,900 crises left behind by bombardment in just the first month of the war. Using AI, we analyzed the diameter of these crises, over 500 of which were greater than 40 feet in diameter, consistent with American-made 2,000-pound bombs used by the Israeli Air Force. Our analysis covers the one-month period to November 6th, in which a Staggering 10,000 people are believed to have died. 
The U.S.'s most senior Middle East diplomat testified on November 9th the number of dead could be even higher. In uh, this period of of conflict um, and conditions of of war, um, it is very difficult for any of us to assess what what the rate of casualties are. We think they're very high, frankly, and it could be that they're even higher than are being cited. Yet the U.S. continues to back Israel's bombardment. So why is the death toll so staggering? Because it's not just about the point of impact. This is a crater caused by a 2,000-pound bomb. The potential kill zone from that crater can spread up to 365 meters. That's 1,200 feet, an area equivalent to roughly 60 soccer pitches or around 90 American football fields. The IDF told CNN, in stark contrast to Hamas's intentional attacks on Israeli men, women and children, the IDF follows international law and takes feasible precautions to mitigate civilian harm. But is that true? This is just north of the Shati refugee camp along the main coastal road. When you go in closer, you can see in just this small neighborhood at least nine craters consistent with 2,000-pound bombs which means the potential kill zone could encompass this entire area. CNN and Synthetics' analysis of the devastation of Gaza shows extensive bombardment. In an area this densely populated and using these bombs, it's inherently indiscriminate. And the human cost continues to soar, surpassing 20,000. Many of the dead still unburied, still under the rubble with no end in sight. Ni'am al-Baghir, CNN, Storot. Fantastic reporting. Out front next, America's border at a breaking point. Federal officials encountering record levels of migrants, 10,000 a day. So what's fueling the latest surge? We're gonna have a special report next. Plus, American Paul Whelan says he is being targeted inside a brutal Russian labor camp where he says most people carry knives. How's he doing? His sister is my guest. Tonight, nearly 10,000 migrants a day. That is what federal officials say they are encountering at the U.S. southern border on average in December. That's among the highest numbers ever recorded. And with multiple border entry points remaining closed as the surge at the southern border escalates, U.S. officials now warning that the situation is nearing a, quote, breaking point. Ed Lavendera is out front. Apprehensions of migrants crossing the southern U.S. border are once again reaching record levels. A Department of Homeland Security official tells CNN the average number of encounters in the last week is 9,600 per day. This rate of apprehensions has not been seen since earlier this year, in the days before the lifting of the COVID-era restriction known as Title 42. Republican Congressman Tony Gonzalez says the situation is spiraling out of control again. Border Patrol agents are doing everything they can to take care of the situation, but they are completely overwhelmed, completely just overwhelmed with the situation, and it's getting worse. This spot along the Rio Grande in Eagle Pass, Texas, is the focal point of the southern border migration crisis. Despite miles of razor wire, steel containers on the riverbank, and thousands of federal, state, and local authorities on the ground, thousands cross this spot every day going up and up and up. Sheriff Tom Schmerber says a zero-tolerance immigration policy won't keep migrants from crossing the border illegally into the U.S., but he says the Biden administration needs to do more 
to get it under control. Best thing to do is to for the federal government to uh, work with the government from Mexico. Hopefully they can persuade them to put some kind of a portal uh, system over there on their, on their border, north border over there, well, south border, and, uh, and help us stop those uh, immigrants coming to the, from Mexico. President Joe Biden spoke with Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador on Thursday. The administration said both men agreed more needs to be done to stop the historic migration flow. And the Mexican president announced Friday he will meet with the U.S. Secretary of State and Secretary of Homeland Security next week in Mexico City. U.S. border authorities remain overwhelmed. Immigration processing facilities are filled. And the strain on resources is creating staggering delays in long lines at ports of entry for border residents. No one has figured out how to overcome the tidal wave of misinformation that largely influences migrants as they make their way north to the U.S. border. Border authorities say these migrants are convinced that crossing illegally between ports of entry is routine. There's a lot of misinformation going on uh, on the Mexican side. The migrants are believing that this is an official port or uh, an official way to enter the U.S., which is completely wrong. In places like Eagle Pass, the daily flow of migrants crossing the Rio Grande doesn't appear to be slowing down anytime soon. Ed, uh, good to have you. Are there any signs that Governor Abbott's law, new controversial law to arrest migrants, will deter people from coming? Uh, misinformation has always been such, a, such an influencer here. Right. Well, that law isn't supposed to go into effect until March, and it's likely to be tied up in the courts. We asked the sheriff there in Eagle Pass what he thought about it. He did not think it's going to do anything to curtail people wanting to cross the border illegally. And the Mexican president has been extremely critical of the law and is vowing to help Mexicans and migrants uh, d defending them in, in this situation. So that could also very well complicate discussions that he's scheduled to have with U.S. with U.S. officials next week in Mexico City. Jim? Ed Lavendera, thanks so much. Out front now, Democratic strategist Maria Cardona and former Republican Congressman Charlie Dent. Good to have you both. M hey, Maria, you, you heard Ed's report at, at record levels each day. You, you know that politically this is hammering Democrats, including President Biden. Does he need to get a deal done in January as quickly as possible or, or risk? Well, he could lose the election over something like this. Well, they do definitely want to get a deal done, Jim. But what they should do is they should lean into what the vast majority of Americans agree with. And that is that in order to deal with immigration and the border, we need a balanced approach. The problem here is that Republicans are neg negotiating in completely bad faith. The only thing that they are offering is to shut down the border, eviscerate our asylum processes. They want to, to offer what passed in the House, which is H.R. 2, a completely draconian, MAGA extremist-inspired proposal that Democrats don't want, that the White House does not want, and frankly won't work. And so what we need, what, what the administration need, needs that they don't have are partners on the other side that want to negotiate in good faith to really get this immigration issue under control and to fix it. As you know, Biden can't do it alone. The White House cannot do it alone. This has been Congress's responsibility forever. And they are the ones that need to come together in a bipartisan way to figure out how you expand legal pathways so that you reduce the pressures of people coming here.
and increase border security. By the way, the Biden administration offered $14 billion in border security in these negotiations to increase smart border security, more resources, more border patrol, more drones, more technology, increase asylum processes or pro people who process them, right. immigration judges, and Republicans turn them down. So the hypocrisy and the ignorance on behalf of Republicans is rampant. And until they come together, come to the table with a real effort to try to get this fixed, we're not going to get where we need to be. Well, Congressman Dan, as you know, it seems Republicans want more. You know big picture how hard it is to get any bipartisan deal through Congress, particularly when it involves immigration. I, I wonder, do Republicans want a deal now or do they prefer an issue for the 2024 election? Well, I think many do want um, a solution. It's true. There are members on both sides of the aisle who have used immigration mm -hmm. as, a, as a political issue. They don't want a solution. Uh, but I think the, the, the issue that I think Republicans have, uh, to be perfectly fair, is this asylum system is broke. Most of these people coming across the border are, are economic migrants. Mm -hmm. They are not legitimate asylum cases. And I think the fear that Republicans have is once you admit people into the country, they disappear into the interior of the country, and then good luck getting people to show up to deportation hearings or asylum proceedings. That's one of the major concerns. So they have to fix this asylum system. Now, I, I'm not so sure they're going to be able to do this in the context of the supplemental appropriations bill. Right. But I think you know the Biden administration has been late to the been, been late on this issue, uh, and I can you know I, I'm not I'm not for shutting down the border. I think that's a draconian mm -hmm. step. We have to deal with this humanely. Americans expect an orderly system of admission right. mm -hmm. and exit. And we don't have that right now at 10,000 uh, migrants per day. Uh, Maria, as you know, President Biden, he sent a clear message to Democrats. They need to work with Republicans, deliver on this issue, and frankly, mm -hmm. make concessions. Here's what he said recently. I am willing to make significant compromises on the border. We need to fix the broken border system. It is broken. Compromise is how democracy works. And I'm ready and offered compromise already. I proposed a comprehensive immigration reform on day one. We need Congress to act. It appears he's willing to make compromises. Yeah. Well, certainly more security, raise the credible fear standard for mm -hmm. asylum seekers. The issue seems to be with, with the parole power for the president, uh, allowing, in effect, the president to make decisions about who gets uh, treatment through the asylum process. What, to both of you, what concession uh, is key here? So you heard the president. He is willing to make concessions. He's always been willing to make con concessions, so much so that some of his allies are mad at him for making too many concessions. But they have to draw the line at the extremism that Republicans are are asking for because they, it is not a serious proposal what they want. And that goes to what Charlie was saying. I don't think Republicans want a deal. The majority of them are not working towards a deal, which is what we want. America deserves better. The border communities as well as the cities deserve better. And the mm -hmm. president was willing to give that money and Republicans have said no. Charlie, what's a reasonable big concession for, for Republicans to demand here at this time? Uh, a big concession for Republicans. Uh, I suspect the biggest concession they can make right now is, you know, to, to get rid of some of the extreme rhetoric on just shutting down the border. They need to they need to move away from that and get serious about negotiating more barriers, wow. more beds, uh, more immigration judges, technology, right. as Maria said, drones. And of course, uh, they need the Democrats, though, to move on asylum. 
in, in, in a big way, and also to help with this interior enforcement problem. Uh, that is something that really bothers many Republicans. I was on the Homeland Security Committee for years and dealing with these issues, original co-sponsor of the uh, uh, Secure Fence Act. So we yeah. got to do, they, they, they all have to bend here. And then, as Maria says, negotiate in good faith, because some of these members on the Republican side in the House aren't going to vote for a yeah. deal that includes Ukraine funding, uh, regardless of what's in the border package. Well, it seems the key is, is raising the standard, but not, in effect, eliminating the standard. We'll see if they could find that common mm-hmm. ground. Charlie Dent, Maria Coronado, happy holidays to both of you. Thank you so much, Have Tim. You. Out front next, concerned, concerns growing for the safety of American Paul Whelan as he reveals he's having to fight off other prisoners. His sister is next. Plus, she's a mother of seven and a registered Democrat, and Republicans are banking on her to replace George Santos. So, who is she? The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. So there have been arrests, suspensions, disciplinary hearings. They're shutting down graduation events. At this moment, the part of the protests that are admirable are young people calling attention to atrocities. Michael Roth is the president of Wesleyan University. I would like to make a space for them to do that, as long as that space doesn't prevent other people from pursuing their education. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. Tonight, the Kremlin is dismissing safety concerns raised by the wrongfully detained American Paul Whelan. The former U.S. Marine has been held in Russia for nearly five years now. And he tells CNN he is being targeted by a Russian prison official who is now urging other prisoners to attack him. It comes just weeks after Whelan said he was punched in the face by another prisoner. Inside a sewing room like the one we're showing you right now, CNN asked the Kremlin spokesman about this today, and he said, quote, to be honest, we don't know about this. I can't say anything about this. Out front now, Paul's sister, Elizabeth Whelan. Elizabeth, good to have you on tonight. Thank you so much. Your brother is telling CNN that this prison official moved him to a more dangerous part of the barracks in this remote labor camp, already dangerous enough where it's being held. He said, quote, quote, most people carry knives here. Many use stimulants, which can make them wild and violent, a deadly combination where any sort of conflict exists. My heart goes out to you because hearing these accounts from afar must must just be heartbreaking for you. How worried are you about his safety right now? Oh, we've been worried about his safety every day that he has been in Russia. Um, You know, people tend to think that uh, an American who's wrongfully detained overseas is just sort of sitting like a toy on a shelf waiting to be exchanged when they're actually dealing with horrible criminals, uh, terrible prison situations every single day. It's and it, it, listen. It's it's deliberate. I mean, we, we've seen Russia carry out this tactic before. Cena did ask the White House uh, about this, and here's what they said. We're very concerned as we as we hear those accounts from from Paul. I would tell you again that um, while I don't have a breakthrough to announce today, we we did in recent days put forward a, a serious proposal. The Russians rebuffed it, regardless of what Mr. Putin says, uh, and we're working hard to see what we can do to get another proposal that that might be more successful to get both him and Evan out. Speaking, of course, of Evan Gerskovich, the Wall Street Journal reporter, do you think there's any deal that Russia will accept to bring your brother home? And do you believe that ultimately here Russia is using him to send the U.S. a message? 
Well, I think that Russia has very little to hold over the U.S. And Paul and unfortunately Evan as well uh, are, are two of the things they do have. And so uh, they are definitely um, playing games with the U.S. They are, you know, Paul is a tourist. Uh, he, We shouldn't have to be doing any deal whatsoever to get him home. The fact that uh, the U.S. government has worked hard put forth two significant proposals, both of them rejected, um, it is just ridiculous. It's a sign of a weak government in Russia mm. that they can't even reasonably negotiate. Yeah, it's a hostage diplomacy. Next week will mark five years since your brother was arrested in Moscow. He spent more than 1,800 days in prison. Your family put out a statement from Paul as that milestone approaches. And I just want to quote from his statement. My parents are quite elderly, and I've given up hope of seeing them again. Friends have moved on, moved on. Relatives have passed away. I was told that everyone was doing everything they could to secure my release. In my mind, that has not been done at all. You have noted that you can't communicate to him all that the U.S. is doing to try to gain his release. But, but do you believe the U.S., the Biden administration, could be doing more? Well, it's so difficult. I've seen them work so hard to try to get something done. Um, you know, I talk to the officials every every single week, but I do think we have to continue to press on them to to see what else can be done. There must be some way to get Paul home. Mm. Well, I, I'm only hoping, and I know the holidays must be particularly difficult to have that empty seat at the table. Elizabeth Whelan, we wish you and we wish your family the best and, and, and perhaps some good news in the new year. Thank you very much. Out front next, the race to replace George Santos is heating up, and Republicans are now hoping that a registered Democrat can help them keep that seat. Plus, Alexei Navalny missing now for 17 days, and today his team is growing even more alarmed. Tonight, off to the races. A special election to replace expelled Congressman George Santos, now in full swing. Democrat Tom Swazi, who held the seat before Santos, looking to leverage his home court advantage and name recognition. And he's not shy about where he thinks his party is falling short. Here's what he told me earlier today. The president should take a play out of Bill Clinton's book. He should adopt the immigration issue as his own issue mm. instead of just getting beaten up on it. Make it his own issue. Propose a comprehensive bipartisan solution that's moderate. And it includes border security and treats people like human beings. Swazi is up against little-known GOP opponent Mazie Pillip, herself an immigrant, a mother of seven, and a registered Democrat. Miguel Marquez is out front. It's on. The race to replace expelled Congressman George Santos. The Democrat. Well, my name is Tom Swazi, and I'm running for the United States Congress. The contenders, handpicked by both state parties. Thank you. God bless you. The Republican, Mozzie Melissa Pillup, mother of seven, the oldest 16, the youngest two, Ethiopian-born, an Orthodox Jew who served in the Israel Defense Forces, immigrated to America, has successfully run for local office twice, now facing maybe the biggest challenge of her life. Are you ready for this? Absolutely, yes. And I know the people of the 3rd Congressional District will be with me because they want a new voice, a uh, fresh face, uh, people, the person who cares about them. Mazi Pillup, the campaign emphasizing her first name, 
largely unknown to voters in the 3rd Congressional District. She's running against a Democrat who has worked in Long Island politics for decades and represented the 3rd District as a congressman for three terms. He left to run for governor. He is well known to voters here. I know people and people know me and that's why I'm getting a very, very enthusiastic reception from people because they trust me and they want me to work for them. Will you resign? I have no George Santos tossed out of Congress for ethics violations and after his serial lying became a national joke. So I'm no longer Congressman Santos. I'm just regular old Professor Major General Reverend Astronaut Santos, Protector of the Realm, Princess of Genovia. The race to replace him now considered a test case for where the country might go in November. What works in the former George Santos district will work in a lot of the competitive suburban districts that are going to determine which party controls Congress. Uh, and, and maybe takes the White House as well. Oh, absolutely. New York's third district outside of New York City. Santos won it by about eight points in 2022. The district boundaries had changed during that 2022 election. Biden would have won the same shape district based on 2020 numbers, also by about eight points. This is a fair fight. It's a Democratic-leaning district, but Republicans have done well the last few election cycles. Mozzie Pillup, who happens to be a registered Democrat, but has run and won as a Republican, sees her registration as an asset. People are going to vote for me because who I am. Okay, yes, when I came to this country, I registered as a Democrat. I was Democrat, but this party with the lefty progressive agenda left me. As Pillup sharpens her message. Who are you going to vote for? Her opponent, drawing on years of public service, has hit the ground running. If you feel like saying hi, you know where to find him. TV ads already reintroducing him to voters. Some Democrats here can't wait for Election Day. How motivated are you two to vote? Oh, in I, am. The oh I will be there. <laughs> Seven o'clock in the morning if that's when the polls open. So, so you're motivated? Oh, highly motivated. But for independents like Noah D'Alessio, who voted for Tom Suozzi in the past, he may not know Mozzie Pillup's name, but... When I read the background of the other candidate, obviously I can't even remember her name, but uh, it was pretty persuasive. And it's something I think we need more of in America. So this race, it is expected to be mammoth, attracting tens of millions of dollars in spending. And it is a sprint. We're just a little over seven weeks away from the February 13th election day. Early voting starts February 3rd. It's going to be a wild ride. Back to you. It could be a bellwether as well. Thanks, Miguel Marquez. Out front next, concerns over Putin critic Alexei Navalny's health as he failed to show for two trials today. Tonight, his team responds. Alexei Navalny has been missing for 17 days now. The Russian opposition leader disappeared weeks ago from a penal colony outside of Moscow. Navalny's daughter telling out front, quote, Putin is just hiding my father from us. And now Navalny's team is offering a reward for any information, writing, today Alexei was supposed to have two trials. He was again not taken to the meetings. Navalny has never been hidden for so long. We offer a reward, cryptocurrency, for any complete and reliable information about Alexei. 
The length of Navalny's absence from public view is unprecedented and has sparked concerns about his well-being and his safety. The Kremlin has refused to say anything about where Navalny is. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 